0: is the addition of services that you're going to add around uh, your value proposition that will secure the trade. Insurance is a good example. If you take like default insurance on clients and you embed that into your marketplace, your take rate will look valuable for a client, for suppliers, because it makes sense for them. They won't have to pay for that insurance and you know they're sure that they're going to be refunded if anything happens. Forex exchange is a good example. If you're transacting with uh, someone in Switzerland, for example, if you want to be paid in Europe, the Swiss client will tell you like yeah I can do it but maybe I can't so if you add like a forex um, service in between that makes it completely transparent for both you're adding value so it's the sum of different services.
1: Welcome to the platform pioneers a show about the bright minds behind the world's largest digital platforms and the stories of how they built them. I am your host, Kurosh, and together we'll uncover the secrets behind creating, scaling, and managing some of the most successful platforms out there. Welcome back to the Platform Pioneer podcast. Today, we're hosting Aziz Morsi, who held a very senior position at Acaris, Acorn, Tradio, and is a veteran in the platform and digital industry. He started his career in banking and is working currently on something new. We're going to come to that later. But without further ado, Aziz Maybe could you introduce yourself and provide a brief overview of your journeys of previous roles in the platform industry?
0: Yeah. Hello, Kirosh. Lovely to be with you guys. So, yeah. Actually, I started my career in investment banking just before jumping into the startup world. I think it was in 2010. My first venture was actually a marketplace called NibDuck where travelers could actually find activities to experience during the trips. Later, I joined a Portuguese company called Tradio, which was a gamified music marketplace where fans could support their favorite indie artists. Then helped grow a kids' activity marketplace in the US and the UK. And finally, I joined Clarice about like four years ago. Fresh food marketplace. It was named Proxy at the time. First, to grow the demand side of the platform, and then with COVID, my role changed a little bit, and I focused on uh, pivoting the business to a SaaS enterprise.
1: And maybe let's uh, touch upon that. That sounds like an uh, extremely relevant, extremely interesting, up to date topic at Claris. Maybe you can dive a bit into the the business model. But you're trying to match large scale supplier distribution for food. When you think back, what was when you when you started the main pain point that this platform was addressing uh, for the customer and you said there was a bit of a change of focus and, and how did that evolve over time because here we always love to get uh, read to the detail of, of how platforms work what were the challenges and and how did it change over time
0: yeah, sure. Uh, well, first thing to know is there were like two periods of Claris. We started as a B2B seafood marketplace, mainly helping restaurants order directly from fishmonger on the coast. Try to cut the middle man, uh, kind of um, important thing into when you're playing with marketplace. Uh, when COVID happened, pretty much all the restaurants closed for, for a pretty long period. So we piloted the company to what we call a niche procurement solution for wholesalers and retailers. Supported with the same technology with, I will say, key difference. And maybe we can dive into that. We moved from a multi-vendor approach to a multi-tenant approach. And then secondly, very important, I think is that fresh food is a very different market from pretty much any market you can experience. It has a lot of specificities that you don't see elsewhere. I'll say supply is fragmented, often composed by, of, you know, tiny local suppliers with low exposure and adoption to digital tools. Prices are extremely volatile. Uh, you can imagine like the price of a fish change every day, maybe multi times a day. The resource is scarce. Buyers have actually to work very hard to find the, the supply they need for their business. There's a lack of standardization across the industry. Uh, a lot of inefficiencies that come from there, like a supplier selling an apple to one client, selling the same apple to the another client, but they have two different names, two different categories. It's very weird. Uh, you don't know why. It doesn't happen with a can of coke or, or a T-shirt. Systems are horrible—not uh, horrible, but if you think about the at the client side, they will use like generic system like uh, SAP or Microsoft, which are great for anything that's standardized. But anything that is non-standardized, they just very struggle. That means a lot of admin work on the client side. The team, you know, just doing like legwork for hours during the day. A lot of IT customization. I uh, can go on and on. There's so many uh, inefficiencies that I can talk about that. In, in, at the end, it just translates into, I will say, like three or four things. Lack of transparency. Uh, very important across all the, uh, the chain. A lot of intermediaries, zero digital input. Food waste. Super important across all the supply chain. Mm-hmm. There's about like 30% of the food that we produce that actually is thrown away. Quite surprising for seafood is actually fifty percent. Like you can imagine, like half of a fish is almost <laughs> thrown away. Yeah, like of... uh,
1: um, maybe if I tap in because it's not getting sold or because it's it's, it's getting bad in the supply chain.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it, there's a lot of reason for that. For example, for fish is like a bit of overfishing, bad condition too. To keep it on the boat, then when you know you you get it on the land, the supply chain is very complex. You got to to keep it like a refrigerate, and then when it comes to the retailer, they usually uh, overstock because they don't want to be you know short off a specific product. It will be very weird if you arrive to your retailer and they don't have any apple to sell you. So they tend to overstock, and then they throw away well what's what's left. Yeah, in in general, that's kind of a big issue for the whole industry, and also that. you have a lot of difficulties to work with local suppliers. You know, there's all this trend about you know local produce and stuff. But in reality, if you're a retailer, uh, working with like a small farmer, like 10 kilometers of, of of your store, it's actually more complicated than than working with the uh, large wholesalers that can distribute nationwide, right? And, and and in the end, for the consumer, that's a big issue, right? Because what they're going to eat very matters, and the natural resource that we use on the planet also matters. So. All of that were pretty much what we were trying to solve at Claris.
1: It seems like probably the worst industry (laughs) to get in with a digital product. And we had a couple of of platforms, marketplaces here that had similar issues. And some said, hey, I have to assume that in such a fragmented supplier market, stock by itself is just super hard to digitize in terms of to make it actually addressable to be sold on a marketplace. And some... Because of that, um, talked about someone in the booking for the sports industry, they had said, "Hey, I have to actually start with a SaaS solution first, in order to digitize, and then I can move to the marketplaces." How did you guys at Claris um, at that point tackle the the low level of digitization of? of stock, basically.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting because with marketplace, either you go marketplace first and then you add a SaaS or you reverse the process, you start with a SaaS and then you open kind of a marketplace. So on, on our side, we actually started as a marketplace because we're a seafood marketplace and, and, and then we actually built up a SaaS out of that. But the technology was very similar here. The most important point is how do you onboard suppliers who are non-digital, uh, don't have you know the mean to actually uh, work with the uh, with the largest clients and retailers. How do you onboard them to use a digital tool? That's the most complex. Inherently, they have to sell the product to the to that retailer, so the transaction will happen online or offline. This transaction will happen, but usually what happens is that on both sides they will you know put it in a in a independent system on their side, and they say like I registered this transaction in my accounting system or my small ERP, and the, and the, usually the, the client does that in a very large ERP. So it will be digitalized if you want, but without without anyone knowing what they're doing. Usually, like using like different names also for that. So that's the complexity. So you actually have to onboard the suppliers and and specifically talk the same language as them, understand the pain point, understand how they work, when they work, where they work. Like trying to call like a, a supplier at 8 a.m. is probably a wrong. <laughs> option yeah. uh, because this is where usually they, they they're in the middle of the, of all the operations, so you, you actually have to really understand your your persona to to adapt to them yeah
1: obviously, you start putting that off in in the early days, and I have to assume it was a lot of hand-holding. so did you have a team going through it it, it sounds almost like um, we've talked to some of them. To people with SaaS solutions for small and medium enterprises, where you just need to look, you have a lot of like outbound and relationship management, kind of like uh, personnel and team to do that. Was it the same? Like, was that the main area of growth when you think from a growth perspective that you have more people kind of like educating people on the marketplace? Or how did you get that marketplace flowing? How did you get to grow the supply and the demand side?
0: Yeah. So the dynamic applies well. Quite even more interesting because with marketplace, you tend to, and we can discuss that maybe later, but you tend to create discovery and create to, you try to create new connection between a supplier and a client, right? They usually don't have a habits to work together, right? That's kind of the motto, if you want, of a marketplace. On our side, we understood very quickly that will be a very hard way to take if we wanted to take on enterprise clients like retailers and wholesalers. Because they have their suppliers already, they work with them every day. So we revert, we actually reverse completely the process and said to our client, we're going to onboard your supply on the platform, and we're going to dedicate a team to that. So we actually had a team that was uh, specialized in onboarding local supply with a lot of different process, a lot of different scenarios. You know, uh, this person is working here, this person has this type of product, this person has this type of process, and you adapt. Uh, your process, your onboarding process like this. So you really have to actually go in depth into knowing your clients to actually manage to create those transactions. Otherwise, it will never happen. Like people tend to use paper and, you know, pen and paper just to transact. And that's that's the way it is. They have a phone, pen and paper, and that's done.
1: So, so there was a lot of effort going in the, in the supply side. Uh, I have to assume from the number of pain points that uh, the demand side wasn't that much of a problem because people were basically waiting for ordering over a marketplace. Like how did you approach that side?
0: Yeah. Um, So demand side is, you you can look at it from uh, two perspectives. One is probably the acquisition of that demand. Is it hard? So uh, at Claris, we only focus on enterprise clients, which means long sales cycles with a lot of discussions with different personas inside. Uh, Whereas if you look at, you know, when we were proxy at the time, it was like closing a restaurant will take maybe like two minutes on the phone, just calling, you know, the chef, say like, Hey, you can buy your seafood today. Right. And that's what, that was it. Pretty much the conversation was very short. So the acquisition was, is, uh, an enterprise acquisition with, you know, advantage and, and disadvantage you can get from that. Then the transformation, which means the implementation of pushing the users to actually engage with your platform. Yes, there were a lot of expectation from, from users to get a tool to do that because Mostly, if you, if you look at the store, when they have actually to execute the purchase, it might take up to two hours in the morning just to purchase, you know, all the tomatoes, all the, all the apples, all the bananas that you need, because you have to call a supplier and then another supplier and then another supplier, then compare the price, then call back the suppliers that have the thing, then maybe that supplier doesn't have the stock anymore. And then, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a very painful process. So as soon as we came up uh, with a solution where you could actually visualize the stock of your supplier online and just, you know at the push of a button, just order that and create like a long list, a basket, like a consumer, kind of a consumer approach that changed everything and, and people were excited by that, yeah, of course.
1: And uh, you mentioned one thing. Um, I guess a killer feature was also real-time pricing. How, how did you handle, I'm just curious, if prices change multiple times a day, how's it handled? Is it inputted by, it needs to be input somewhere and then uh, getting display where they Okay, best time actually to look for produce is eleven AM. How, how how did that happen from a, a technological basis but also from a user perspective
0: basis? Yeah, so depends on the supplier. So uh, I will say you have suppliers who, uh, who want to minimize the risk and suppliers will say, like, you know what, I'm just gonna put the price that is the price of the day, even though on my supply side, because you have suppliers that have also suppliers, maybe it will change a bit, but Whatever. Some days I will lose, some days I will win. That's pretty much how they they, they see. It. So, and then you had suppliers that that were actually changing the price. Um, you know, every hours or every two hours. I stay, it takes a lot of effort for them to do that. So, depending on the, I will say the volume of transaction they get, it's also one of the key aspects of uh, of marketplace. Depending of the of the volume of transaction, you're more willing to participate to that if you get like one transaction every like a week. Every other week, that probably you won't you won't bother changing your price because actually it's not important. But if you get like multiple transactions during a day, yeah, that's probably you'll be changing that just to to match exactly the price that you get from from your own supplier. It's
1: interesting, and maybe uh, kind of like after after cracking a, a problem like this, moving moving away from the uh, um, example and kind of like looking back at your career, um, what were historically like the the toughest problem uh, to crack? Was it here, we, we had a, a big problem on the supply side, let's put this way, was it more supply demand? Was it more like building the technology to support a marketplace or um, a SaaS solution? Uh, was it, uh, in your experience, is B2C harder than B2B? Uh, may reflect a bit about more on, a, uh, on on an industry view.
0: Yeah, I would say B2C are more used now to to using like marketplace. Why? Because, you know, we have Amazon, we have, Facebook is a if you want it, it's a platform in itself. So we kind of used to transact in a sense. Maybe it's not a real transaction. Maybe just exchanging message with, with someone on Facebook or something. As a consumer, now you're kind of used to playing in that field. Uh, for B two B, it's kind of a new trend. Not a new trend. It's been like maybe like a few years now, two, three, four years uh, that you kind of see like a marketplace dedicated to B two B, which means that as a a supplier or as a client. I'm not yet used to this kind of environment so I would say like in that sense b2b is harder because there's more education whereas if you just create a marketplace tomorrow to sell seafood to consumer and there's some few of them it's easier than, than to go the road and selling seafood to uh, chefs who actually have less time and you have to adapt to their workflow whereas a consumer you actually don't really have to adapt to their workflow right they can buy seafood any time of the day that's fine a chef might be They need to buy seafood at between, I will say, uh, 11 p.m. and and 2 a.m. You know when they finish the 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 latest service. So you have to have a platform that can allow for that, right? Uh, So I will say in that sense B2B is harder. And also you you learn, even though SMBs you can learn uh, faster, but you you learn slower with B2B, right? Consumer you have millions of consumers, so you can fail with some consumer and you will you know iterate on that. Whereas with B2B it's harder, specifically when you're enterprise, you don't have millions of, of enterprise clients, right? maybe thousands of enterprise clients. So yes. it reduces your ability to learn fast, which for us startups, it's probably you know the main uh, way that we grow. It's just by learning very fast.
1: Exactly, exactly. I mean, that's a, a good interesting point and it actually makes or breaks the difference. Maybe something, as you've seen both B2B and B2C, uh, digging a bit in, into that, how was actually monetizing customers is different, specifically if we look to B2B, and how it's kind of like actually getting paid, like um, understanding B2B payments, which is a bit different that to b 2 C. How how did, you, how did you see the differences and, and approach that?
0: Yeah, so consumer-wise, maybe we're lucky, but we leave like the first, I think, consumer marketplace. Well, it was Nibdack at the time, but we didn't have like good payments except PayPal at the time, but when Stripe came, like about, I think it was 2014 or 15 with their product for marketplace where you could handle different sorts of flows and different type of uh, merchant of records, uh, that changed probably the game for consumer because it made it very easy to transact on the consumer side. And, um, and consumer use their credit card anyway to, to pay mostly on, on internet, right? You never use your bank account to pay for anything. When you go to B2B, you can use your credit card it's, it's really rare but that happens specifically in the travel industry and stuff like this because you have miles and stuff that can that can happen but mostly you will pay on an invoice and you get like some terms to pay right um, and and this term might be like 30 days to get to the payment so that change a little bit um the dynamic and the, and the way that you're going to use payment uh probably uh, you won't use a stripe but you will have to use kind of a banking service in between to manage like transfer from bank account to bank account. And then you have to think about that payment flow. like are you as a marketplace, the merchant of record, meaning that like you're the intermediary uh, that received the funds from the client, then you pull them and then you, you pay the vendor you know just one payment, which is a great solution for the vendor because it reduced okay. accounting friction on one side. Or are you not uh, the merchant record and the vendor is a merchant record? And in that case, they have to transact directly with the, with the client via your, your platform. And that's also a different dynamics because that creates a whole set of, I will say, user experience issues that come here, right? So like you have to adapt pretty much to your business, understand what is the value. Sometimes payment is a value proposition in the B2B. Sometimes payment is just kind of a side problem and people don't really care about it. So it really depends on the problem that you're tackling, the inner problem that you tackle with your with your platform.
1: Exactly. I mean, that, that's something that I've discussed also in, in, in length. And when you think, kind of like payment is one thing, it's so operational challenge comes with this, user experience challenge, et cetera. Uh, if it is a problem or not, also defines a lot by how you actually monetize, how you make money. Obviously, there's something like a take rate, which is, I would say, probably uh, from all the discussions we had, on a different level and easier to get on a b2c rather than b2b maybe if you kind of like think back to that a bit and also because i know that you mentioned at some point like Clarice you moved also from a marketplace then more to a SaaS model how do you think about how easy it is to monetize b2b merchants with just a marketplace and marketplace and SaaS together
0: yeah so so marketplace they create is actually i will say the, the first monetization layer that you're gonna you're gonna introduce they create only becomes a real issue with B2B. Why? Except if the, the relation between the supplier and the client is very complex, meaning, I don't know, you have a client, a supplier in China, for example, and a client in Europe uh, that creates a lot of you know, various issues that, that will come in, in the, into the transaction. Uh, but if you're just taking like a take rate between like um, uh, a client and a supplier in the same geographical area, like in the EU, for example, what prevent the client, if they know the supplier, meaning if your platform allows for that, what prevent the client to just call the, the, the supplier and say like, hey, we actually don't need to have an intermediary in between. That just doesn't make sense. I will just, you know, arrange terms with you directly because we've done that like couple of transactions on that platform. Now, you know, I trust you. I trust the quality of the product that you're selling. And the supplier say like, okay, I trust you. I can have insurance in place with you because whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then they can start to transact outside of the of the platform. So take rate only just doesn't make sense. It's the addition of services that you're going to add around uh, your value proposition that will secure the trade. Insurance, for example, is a good example. If you take like default insurance on clients and you embed that into your marketplace, your take rate will look valuable for a client, for suppliers, because it makes sense for them. They won't have to pay for that insurance. And you know they're sure that they're going to be refunded if anything happens. Forex exchange is a good example. If you're transacting with uh, someone in Switzerland, for example, if you want to be paid in Europe, the Swiss client will tell you like, yeah, I can do it, but maybe I can't. So if you add like a Forex, Um, service in between that makes it completely transparent for both you're adding value so is the sum of different services maybe just logistic maybe just you know just helping uh, this so take rate only probably completely um, useless is when you add services around that will justify the take rate that's probably where you can monetize better
1: interesting maybe now as we're almost at the end if taking all your experience looking back, what advice would you give uh, someone who's, who's building up marketplace or a SaaS platform, SaaS enabled marketplace solution? What should he, he or she focus on most? Which KPIs, which asset, so to speak, should he or she focus most on? Like, like What's what's the the make or break and the kind of like where should you use PDRI from when you think back? Like, example, I don't know, is it more, you should really refocus really on supply, you should really focus on the technology, you should really focus on, on you name it. What's advice from looking back on a high level?
0: Yeah, I don't think technology is the main issue today, specifically when you're starting, because there's enough not tools that allow you to build like a good marketplace. Technology without having to build it yourself. So I don't think, I, I don't consider that as an issue. Demand and supply is always an issue when you have to bootstrap it at the beginning, but you can kind of uh, emulate it for in various forms. We could, we can discuss that if you want. Uh, I will say the, the, the main point is that if you're building a specifically a verticalized marketplace, you actually have to know the users on both sides like very well understand what, what make them tick, why they want to participate. In your platform, that's, I think, uh, very important. And the metrics are the same that you can imagine by definition. I'll go with retention. It's kind of, you know, the basic, how many times like, you know, people want to engage with your platform and how you do that. I'll go with match rate. I don't know if you're familiar with this type of metrics is like, if I take the example of Uber is what is the percentage of time that an Uber driver rides with a passenger or empty? Right. Mm-hmm. So understanding this kind of metrics is super so, important. So match
1: match rate exactly. and, and utilization. Exactly, almost, yeah.
0: exactly. So it's almost the same. If, if you understand those kind of of metrics very early and you can optimize around them, uh that's that's great. And then financial metrics are black bread and butter for us is understanding what is the contribution margin what is the unit of economics of, of your business if you don't understand that you're probably going wrong specifically <laughs> specifically if you yeah. have logistic involves and stuff like this because that, that will kill your business now and you'll be like uh, hungry for cash pretty much every six months
1: perfect first of all thank you so much we are now at the end and i mean Time time me so quickly. Uh, we're talking to someone who is so uh, versed and, and has so much experience. Thank you so much for being here on the show, on the podcast. It was amazing. And a lot of great, great, great insights from all of your careers and especially
0: over, over multiple business models. Thanks so much for joining the show. Thank you a lot, Kirush. Bye-bye.